All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 6. After the holidays, I'll be back in Hebrews. But this morning, Romans chapter 6. I want to kind of park there in Romans 6 and um, look at the two courses a person may take in this world. And if you notice in verse 23, a very popular passage of Scripture, people doing any kind of evangelism always use this, this passage of Scripture. But in Romans 6.23 in the Bible, it says this. And I, I'd like you to take your Bibles um, and look at that passage. We're going to be looking at that passage uh, this morning and some of the details in that passage. But it says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me have a word of prayer. Lord, this morning, after all the holiday that we've had, Lord, I pray that you would focus our attention this morning on this very text. Help us to learn what's there, to apply it to ourself, and then also, Lord, to apply it to our understanding and our worldview and then to our experience in witnessing with others. So we can continue to know that what you have accomplished for us is very practical in our everyday life, especially in fighting sin and understanding our position now in regard to sin. And I pray, Lord, you would help us and help us to begin to grapple with this and thinking about this, this very thing today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, everyone who has heard this passage of Scripture, who has used this passage of Scripture, is immediately confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's an argument that is specifically leading up to this particular verse. And if you look up to verse 20 in your Bibles, in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. Now, if we go back one verse, the Apostle Paul begins to give reasons for paying attention to this exhortation. Verse number 19, it says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So there's definitely two things going on here. Number one, you used to, we all used to live our lives and presented ourselves to sin and impurity regularly every day. But when Christ comes in and becomes your Lord and Savior, then something different is going on. Now I can present my body, my mind, over to God to be a slave of righteousness and not be a slave of sin anymore. And the result of one is death. The result of another one is sanctification, meaning meaning this, being regularly and daily set apart unto God as the Spirit of God gives me the wisdom and the power to say no to my sin. All right, so there's two different things going on. Verse 23 that I just read sums up by emphasizing the end to which two types of life lead. Accordingly, those who are Listening, understand we are confronted with two courses a person may take in this world. And what are they? The first one is a soul. And I'm saying a person is a soul because really your soul's eternal. So a soul will either yield to sin, serve it, and earn its wages, or a soul will yield to God, receive His gift, and live it. There's no other way to live. There's no other choices. 
this is sure from this passage that no soul can escape from sin. That sin is inherited, but if a soul who knows the gospel cannot escape from sin, it is equally true that a soul cannot escape from the gift which is placed at their disposal in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, God has placed at the disposal of every soul the gift of eternal life. A person may ultimately escape from sin or grace, but they can't escape from both. They have to escape from one or the other. A person can escape from sin by yielding to grace, or that person can put himself outside the operation of grace by yielding to sin. There's no other options. Either a person lives in one realm or the other. So sin is the poison. And its antidote is grace. There are no other antidotes. Only the grace of God can neutralize the poison of sin and its effects. If grace does not neutralize the poison of sin and its effects, it will remain potent and deadly and active. The Webster's Dictionary defines antidote as a remedy to counteract poison or anything that works against an evil or unwanted condition. In this case, the evil is sin. And the only thing that that can work against it its potency is a thing the Bible calls grace. Grace is equal to God's gift. It's free. It's offered by God to you. All right? So I'm laying all that out so I can get into the passage because all these things are contained in this passage. And the book of Romans is not the easiest book to understand. There's a lot of theology in this book, but it is so very important to understand it so you can actually live your Christian life. So there are only two possibilities facing every individual who comes into the world, and there are only two. As the Bible describes, either your house is built on the sand or it's built on the rock. Either you pass through the broad gate or the narrow gate. Either you take the broad road or the narrow road. Either you are in darkness or you are in light. Either you have taken your own way or God's way. Either you are depending on your own righteousness or God's righteousness. So in each case, you cannot have both. You have to be in one place or the other. You can't straddle the fence on this matter. You can't have one foot on the shore and one foot in the boat. You just cannot do it. It's impossible for that to take place. There are no shades in the spiritual realm, but there's only black and white. So today, be warned, whatever road you are on, in the end, there will be inevitable results. And it will lead to an inevitably different destination on each one. So my friend, do not believe the lie that all roads lead to heaven, they do not. To understand further what I mean, I want to examine two sets of three terms each found in Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. The first set is this. Wages, sin, and death go together. And then the second set is this. Gift, God, and eternal life, they go together. So you have two packages here, and they go together. Also notice that these three terms, over against each other, the wages against a gift, sin against God, and death against eternal life. So every human being is confronted with two entirely different masters to serve, two entirely different conditions to live in, and then also two entirely different destinations to end up at. So this morning, put yourself 
into this text and ask yourself, where are you? What master do you serve? What condition are you in? And where are you going to end up? Ask yourself that. Pretty simple questions. A lot of theology behind it, but I want to examine the first one found in verse number 23, and it's the two entirely different masters. Now, what are they? If you notice, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So the two different masters are sin or God. So sin is the first thing that's put up against God. Now, many people think of sin only as committing very evil crimes or making some gross mistake or two. But sin is far more than just making a few mistakes or being slightly less than perfect. Sin is absolutely, absolutely in Scripture, open rebellion against God's laws and against God's authority as divine king of the universe and as your creator. You're responsible to him as a human being. And so therefore, when we sin, whatever sin it is, we are actually rebelling against the God who created us in his image and created our soul for eternity. So really sin is anything that we do, any thought that we think, any word that we speak that displeases God or is a transgression or a breaking or a crooked way we're dealing with with God's law. And so therefore, sin is a matter to be considered here, and sin is a master to be obeyed. And Scripture lays it down that sin is something we actually obey. And somebody we obey becomes our master, someone who lords over us. So the Bible is saying, listen, sin lords over people. In other words, it controls you. It controls your thoughts, it controls your actions, it controls everything in your life. You are servant to sin. Everybody is. No one is exempt from this because everybody's born from Adam. And so therefore, sin is imputed to us from Adam, and also we commit our own acts of sin. So we're in trouble on both accounts. We're sinners. We sin against God all the time, and we are slaves to the master of sin. But on the other hand, there's God. And so the question is, who is the master we serve? Again, I would like to stress that there are only two possibilities. Either it's sin or else it is God. Every person in the world at this very moment is either a slave of sin or a slave of God. And you too, my friend, this very day, either are serving sin or God. So the ultimate question is, who are we serving? Who is your master today? Is God your master? Is he Lord of your life? Is he calling the shots? Are you bringing your sin before him? Or are you giving in to every impulse and desire that you have? And are you led away by every temptation that comes your way? And are you inflamed in those passions privately and publicly? Wherever it may take place, it's all public before God. Right? Where are you? And I'm not asking you this morning, as we come to a place like that, that, well, how good you are. I'm, I'm I'm not saying... I'm not asking how moral you are. I'm not asking you to to imagine a a, a scale in your mind and that hopefully your good works outweigh your bad. I'm not asking you if you give to noble causes. Nor am I asking how good and nice people, what good and nice people say about you. If I were to ask them, what about that person? Oh, they're just a wonderful person. Matter of fact, that person's more wonderful than most Christians I know. Those are not real significant questions. The question is, who's your master? To whom are you a slave? For whom are you living every day you wake up? Who's calling the shots 
in your daily life, in your relationship with people, in your relationship with your wife, in relationship with your family? Who's calling the shots? See, a person may be nice. He may be, he or she may be good and noble and moral and still be a slave to sin and Satan. And they don't even know it. They don't even consider that. But that's what the Bible is teaching us, and that's what the Bible wants us to consider. Remember, whatever the person is, or whatever the person does, if that person does not do all to the glory of God, that person is a slave to sin. And that that sin is a master over them and controls their life. So sin here is willfully choosing wrong, choosing to disobey. This is the first thing to ask yourself today. Whom are you submitting yourself as a slave? Are you submitting it to the sin that's in your life? Or are you submitting it to God? So see, there's going to be two entirely different masters in your life and in reality you can't serve both you have to serve god or you have to serve sin you cannot serve both now the dynamic when somebody becomes a christian with sin becomes different but in those i'm not speaking in those terms at this moment a second thing i want you to notice in romans chapter 6 verse 23 i want you to consider this there are two entirely different conditions of service Look what it says, and what I mean by that is that there is either, it says, for the wages of sin is death, or the free free gift of God is eternal life. So wages, something you work for, is put up against something that is a gift, that is free, something you don't work for. All right, so this word wage, or is really something that's a payment, uh, it's a compensation for, or it's an earning, something you earn. A person, when they work, they do a job. They have a right for, to wages, right? They have a right to get paid. And wages are equivalent to work. If a person works an eight-hour shift at McDonald's, and uh, they make $6.15 an hour or something like that, well, in the, at the end at the end of eight hours, their gross wages should be about $49.20 a day, if my math is correct. And uh, so his wages, or her wages, are said to be equivalent to the, er, the work that they perform. So he or she has earned them, and they need not be thanked by anyone for doing what they were paid to do. So... A person who earns wages doesn't have to be thanked for it because it's not a gift. You earned it. It's yours. You worked to earn it. So if wages be the payment for work, then sin is the work that earns a payment also in Scripture. So if a person has as his master sin then they earn wages for living in this condition, the condition of sin, the condition in which sin is your master. But they really have no choice in determining what their wages are when they sin. Because the wages have already been set. So what decides the wages? Well, for the person whose master is sin, well, according to the word of God, it is the law. The law decides the wages. The law is the, the record in the word of God that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai. The law reveals sin, right? Look back to chapter 5, right over the page some of your Bibles, verse number 20. It says in verse 20 of Romans 5, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. In other words, when there is the law of God, which there is the law of God, 
That means that every time someone sins, the law of God brings a curse on that person. In fact, if you look at chapter 4 of Romans, in verse 15, the law curses those, listen, the law curses those who try to become right with God through observing it. It says in verse 15 of chapter 4, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. So see, if there is no law, if there's no standard, there's nothing to break. Right? But the Bible is saying here, listen, there is the law, the law of God. And every time someone sins, a curse comes upon them, and that curse comes upon them because they break the law, they disobey the law, they obey their master's sin, and because of that, God's wrath comes upon them. That every time a violation of God's law comes, the law rears its head and condemns that person. That's what it's designed to do. That's why when you, when you sinned, and you didn't even know anything about this passage or anything else, and you felt guilt, where did that come from? That guilt came from you breaking God's law. Because God gave you a conscience, right? And he gave you the law of God written in your heart. And so you know, because you're a creature of God, that when you sin, even though it may be private, why do you walk away and you feel the sense of guilt? Because God put that there. See, you already sense the curse that comes from sinning as a human being in God's creation where God set the, set the standard. He made the law. When you break it, a curse comes. In fact, that passage of Scripture that at the end of the passage on resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56, where it says, the sting of death is what? Sin, Right? And the power of sin is what? The law. Right? The law condemns. It curses. It brings the wrath of God upon people. And then the passage in James where it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. That's a pretty heavy passage of Scripture because it's pretty much saying that if a person commits just one sin in their life, in their entire lifetime, that in God's eyes they are guilty as if they have broken every one of the commandments. See, that's the power of sin. And that's the power of the law. The law corners us. It makes us guilty. It brings a curse. It brings the wrath of God upon a person. See, when we begin to understand that, believe it or not, that's good news. That's the the bad news part of the good news. But if you don't get that bad news, you can't get the good news. Because when you get that news, then you begin to say, well, if that's the case, James, um, no, who was it? Uh, D. James Kennedy in his Evangelism Explosion used to give an illustration about saying to people, well, let's say you sin three times a day. Right? Well, if you live to a certain amount of years, maybe 70 years old, you would have like 70,000 transgressions on your account. Right? So, and that's, that's a mild figure. Most of us sin much more than that uh, in an hour, um, let alone for our whole lifetime. But the point is, is that if you took 70,000 transgressions and went up before a judge, a human judge, and you had 70,000 70, tickets... You think the judge is going to slap you on your hand and say, okay, you know, don't worry, you know, and let you go? No, he's not going to do that. He's going to bring the heavy hand of the law upon you, and you're going to have to pay some heavy fines, right? In God's case, one sin will condemn you uh, before God forever because God's law has to be satisfied. God cannot let it go. He's not an unjust judge. He's a judge who's just all the time. First Timothy says, but we know that the law is good. See, there's nothing wrong with the law. Don't get me wrong. It says, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners. Who's that? It's us. 
And then it goes on to say, for the unholy and for the profane, for those who killed their fathers and mothers, for murderers and immoral, immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, whatever else is considered rebellion against God, that also comes under the judgment of the law. So if we choose sin as our master, then that determines the wages for sinning and the earnings for sinning and the compensation for sinning. Right? And what is the compensation for sinning? The wages of sin is what? Death. There's your wage. Why? Because the law has to be satisfied, and the judgment of the judge is that the wages for your sin is eternal death. That's what it is. That's what God says. Right? Now, before, just keep that thought. I want, I want to go to the next word before I lose this thought in your mind and that's the word gift in in our passage in romans six twenty three. for the it's for it tells us for the wages of sin is death but the the free gift you notice that free there that's that's a word that really needs to be stressed in that passage of scripture the the gift is an expression here of divine grace emphasized in the phrase free gift now the emphasis here is on freedom, the freedom of the gift, the, the free offer of the gift. See, but we have to ask this question, what, what then is a free gift? We, we get this confused sometimes in our minds. Well, a, a free gift is something that cannot be earned. That which no man has the claim as to its right that which cannot be bought, it cannot be worked for. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it is solely the result of God's goodness and God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor, kindness shown to someone who does not deserve any kindness of, uh, kindness of all. It is the free gift of God to people who are utterly undeserving of it. So this gift is offered to people who are under the curse of the law, who have sinned to the point where the law is condemning them, God is now offering to those people, and who are those people? You and I, everyone, all human beings. And when this knowledge comes to you, it really is knowledge that helps you understand where do you stand before God? Who is really your master, right? But God is offering a gift So grace is that which God does for mankind through his son, Jesus Christ, which mankind generally cannot earn, mankind doesn't deserve, no human being deserves this gift, and neither can they merit or earn that gift no matter what, right? But you know what? We have in our mind, if we work hard enough, if we accomplish a certain discipline, that there's some reward at the end, some medal at the end, some plaque at the end, something we can put on our wall to say, wow, I, I did something. I accomplished something. I finished something. But what happens is that we translate that kind of thinking into the spiritual realm. We are conditioned to believe, actually, that we can't get something for nothing. So when we think of spiritual things, we apply the same logic, but that logic is flawed. If I'm going to live with God in heaven forever, and if you're going to live in, with God in heaven forever, it will... A person thinks, I will have to be the best person I can be here. I'll have to be the best person I can be in this life so 
When I stand before God, I can hand him my plaque, my medals, my achievements, the things that I've accomplished that are good, the good deeds that I've done, and certainly he will let me into heaven. That's what people think. That's, what, that's the battle in evangelism. It's difficult to witness to somebody who thinks they're good. They've already determined in their mind, they are, in their mind, living their life in a way that is kind of pleasing to themselves and pleasing to those around them. But they forget that the law has condemned them on the first act of sin. And they may have forgotten what that was. And since then, all that they have done is sin. Why? Because sin has been their master all along. And so they have piles and piles and piles of sin. And God knows every one of them because God keeps accurate records. And they think that because of their actions that somehow God should, should somehow, because of the goodness that they have uh, obtained in their life and the achievements they've attained, that he would let them into heaven. But see, the Bible has something to say about attempting to reach heaven with this kind of thinking. It says in Proverbs 14, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of what? Death. See, man tries to achieve heaven through religion. I'll go to church. I'll go all the time. I'll go, I'll do all the sacraments. I'll, I'll, I'll jump through all the hoops. And so they go to church. Uh, they try to attain heaven through good works, through morality, through philosophy. They have philosophized their life to the point where they had made their own plan of salvation. And then basically self-righteousness. I could save myself. I'm self-sufficient. I'm an American. I could do it. But at the same time, the Bible says in Romans 5.21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the conditions to which a person has, has been living determines the end to which each actually leads, the destination to where it leads. If you have been living with sin... As your master, you will end up in one place. And if you have been, if you have received God's free gift, you will end up in another place. And remember, when you receive God's free gift, the Bible tells us we receive it by faith, right? It's by faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's by faith. It's a gift of God. It's not by works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, you have nothing to boast about if someone gives you a gift that you never could have deserved or earned. What am I going to boast about? I can't say, well, you know, I accomplished something. No, I accomplished nothing. I could never have saved myself. My sin has condemned me before God. And God is just and must uphold his law. Therefore, I am under his wrath. How do I get escape that? So this leads me to my last point, And it's this. There are two entirely different destinations. All right, what are they? Well, according to Romans 6.23, there is eternal death. All right, the wages of sin is what? Death. It's not just physical death he's talking about there. The wages of sin is death, or the gift of God is what? Eternal life. So we have two destinations, either eternal death, or we have eternal life. We have sin as your master, or God as your master. We have a salvation that you work and earn, which is no salvation at all. Or you have a salvation that you have received by faith without doing a thing but taking God's gift that you never could earn or deserve. All right? So in this last one is the destination. 
if a person continues on in sin as their master, they're developing their own religious self-righteousness to somehow get into heaven, and they die in that condition where they're going to end up. Well, the Bible says they're going to end up in a condition called eternal death. Look what it says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. See, sin pays its wages in full. And the wages paid to a person who has been a slave to sin is death. Now, this passage is not merely referring to physical death that we all will face, but it's referring to eternal separation and torment of the sinner that they will face in a place the Bible calls hell or the lake of fire. So hell is the proper punishment for people's sins. This refers to, according to Scripture, the second death. In Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says there is the first death. But the first death is physical death. The second death is spiritual death. That's when a person actually had died physically. And at the judgment of God, they were raised before God, raised with a body that can no longer die. And the Bible says that's the second death. God will judge them according to what they have done, and he will send them to the lake of fire. That's the second death. And in that death, they actually have a death that they're going to pay for all their sins for all eternity because they never received the free gift of eternal life. Again, my friend in reading, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says this, This is a final, irreversible separation from God and from the face of God and from the life of God. It means eternally outside of God's life with all the consequences, misery, and sufferings that go with it. See, we have gotten away from the doctrine of hell in the church today, and yet it's so vital to the truth. Jesus Christ frequently spoke about hell, maybe more than anything else in Scripture, and warned about the danger of going there. Where this is what he says in just one passage. I'm not going to have a study on hell. He just says this. The angel shall come forth and shall take out the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So hell is considered a furnace of unquenchable fire, a place of everlasting punishment where its victims are tormented in both bodies and minds in accord with their sins and sinful natures. See, hell is a place where God's wrath is revealed as a terrifying, consuming fire. You know, whether we want to talk about whether it is literal or figurative is not the point. The point is it's a horrible place to be. You don't want to end up there. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be separated from the love of God. Even in this world, we're not separated from the love of God. God still allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He allowed you to wake up this morning. He's allowed many people to wake up. That's God's grace. But someday in this place that was created originally for Satan and his demons are now all those who disobey God just like Satan disobeyed God will end in the same place he ends up. And it's a place that you're not going to have a party, I tell you that. It's not a place where you go party with your buddies It's not even a place you want to think of ending up there or to to even speak lightly of a place like that. And we need to think on that because hell is a place where God's wrath is revealed regularly and consistently. It's difficult to imagine what eternal punishment would actually be like. And in fact, if you begin to think about it, your mind doesn't even want to go there. 
Men and women are often sick with painful diseases on earth where the duration of the condition seems to last last like for an eternity. But in hell, people will have no rest day or night forever and ever. Their lot will be given to them because they earned every bit of it. See, they earned hell. They worked hard for hell. Why? Because their master was sin and they loved to sin. See, so God's just in giving you your, what you earned in hell. There's no injustice there at all. There, there, there's no injustice. It's all of God's justice there. So this is the lot of all people. This is what sinners earn for sinning. The tragedy of all this is not only in the reality of hell as a punishment for our sins, but in the fact that we are helpless to do anything about it. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are not sick. We're not even on the brink of death. We are dead in sins, the Apostle Paul tells us. We are dead in our sins. It's to say that we are totally unable to pull ourselves out of them. So this rebellion to God's laws and God's authority is inescapable for all people. And that is why it it, it is also impossible for anyone to work their way toward being reconciled to God. Again, the Ephesian passage, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, you can't save yourselves. It is a gift of God. There's the stress. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. You cannot do anything to earn it. It's not a result of any works, so no one should boast. So how can you and I being a slave to sin, set ourselves free. How can you and I, being dead to sin, give ourselves life? The answer to that question is we can't. But I know someone who can. Right? And that's why if you look in the passage of Scripture, right, it says the first destination is eternal death. The second destination is eternal life. It says, but the free gift of God, here's the, the result of the free gift of God. Here's the result of not working for eternal life, but receiving the free gift of God in which God packaged with that eternal life. And remember, eternal life is God's life. Not wages. It was never earned And it's also a quality of life. It's not just existing. It's also an unending life. It's all the time. Life with God all the time, forever and ever. Think of that as against hell. Well... This is what eternal life means. Sharing and enjoying the life of God for all eternity. Without the slightest suspicion of a a mixture in that condition of sin or evil. You are going to be, sin and evil is going to be absent completely. We don't know what that would mean. There's no way I can describe what that would mean. The only thing I could say to you is make sure you end up there. And don't play games with your eternal soul. Don't try to convince yourself, well, I grew up in this religious system, so therefore this religious system, this is my religion. Forget that thinking. Get to what God says in his word and find out from the word of God where you stand before God and where you actually are going to end up. See, we have eternal life the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, I always believed in Jesus Christ. No, you haven't. Not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. Not that Jesus Christ is going to hold you responsible as the judge of the world for your sin. 
You didn't believe in that one. You believe in a Jesus who's love, 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 love. Well, the love comes on the cross. That's where the love comes. See, we have eternal life. The moment we believe in Jesus, it is all because of Jesus. And look at how the verse ends in Romans 6.23. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. What? In Christ Jesus our what? Lord. He's now my master. He's now my Lord. He now what? Delivers me from God's wrath. Why? He took the wrath for me. And because he took the wrath for me, he gives me this grace gift. It's free. And when we take it, man, we're saved. That's what salvation is. The life of man means the existence, well, See, Jesus' purpose in, in coming into the world is summed up really nicely in Luke 9, 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek, seek that which, uh, come to save and seek that, that which is what? Lost, right? And so that's who you are. We're lost, can't help ourselves. We don't know the way. We, we have no directions. And so he has accomplished his mission when he came into the world. In the person of Jesus Christ, God literally became a man lived a perfect life of righteousness and in obedience to his own laws and on behalf of his children. And so therefore, Peter writes, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He, having perfectly obeyed the law, Christ then willingly died for sinners. And now, when you believe in Jesus Christ, he takes your sin, he nails your sin to the cross, and he gives you his righteousness he transfer his righteousness to your account. And so the word of God tells us, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might, what? Bring us to God. So the only one who could bring us into the presence of God is Christ himself. So is there any, any hope at all for those who have, as their master, sin? The answer is yes, Christ. Christ is your only hope. Not Christ and the church. Not Christ and good works. Not Christ and sincerity. Well, the person's sincere. You can be sincerely wrong. And most of the time when it comes to spiritual and, and, and religious things, people are sincerely wrong. And have to be adjusted by truth. It's not Christ and giving up your sins. It's not Christ and I'm trying hard. It's not Christ and baptism. It's not Christ and confirmation. It's not Christ and christening. It's not Christ and morality. It's not Christ and a good family. It's not Christ. I can go on in the list. It's, you don't add anything to Christ. There's no, it, this is not addition to what you already believe. What you need to do is throw out all you believe, throw it all out, and come to Christ and, all, and take the free gift of eternal life. See, it's Christ, period. Otherwise, if it's not, there's works involved. And if there's works involved, there is no salvation. And if there's works involved, your eternal destiny is the lake of fire. I can't do anything about that. I can only preach that. I pray that God would bring you to an understanding of that truth, as he did for me, as he did for many of you here, right? And he brought you to faith and understanding, and you, you received the free gift. It was, it was Chuck Swindoll who told, who told the story once. Uh, Chuck used to pastor in California. Then he became the president of Dallas. I don't know. Where, he's in Texas somewhere pastoring, I think, still a little bit older now. But he used to say this, he used to give the story, and, and Chuck writes a great book on grace. He does. Uh, he, ha, he has a good handle on this free gift of God. And he said, uh, one, lady, one day a lady ran up to him and says, Preacher, preacher, sign my, sign my Bible. And um, he didn't like to always autograph Bibles, but 
She says, and then under your name put, salvation is a gift. And he says, why, why do you want me to do that? And she says, because my background is I was religious. I went to church all my life, and I worked hard at my religion. I was there all the time. All my friends and myself were religious, and we were working very hard to please God. When I found that I wasn't pleasing God at all. And then I found that God offered me a gift in salvation. I had to give it all up. She says, I, I, never, I never knew salvation was free. so hard for it and my plan was to keep on working hard for it until I heard the message of the free gift of God in Christ Jesus and that's when I believed that's when my life changed that's when sin was no longer my master but Jesus Christ was And my destination was no longer the lake of fire, which I didn't think it was in the first place. But I understood later it was. But my destination is eternal life because of what Jesus Christ done with God forever. So I want to admonish you, wherever you're at, if you're a believer, if, you're, if God's still working on your heart, if you've been around for a while, I want to admonish you in your thinking to stop the foolish labor of trying to establish your own righteousness. Instead, submit yourself to the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to offer a price to earn life. Instead, come and receive life as a free gift from God as He intended it to be. You, you are not called upon to earn life, but to receive it. Stop learning the wrong things and change your thinking and also stop leaning on your pride. A lot of times people, when you ask them, well, do you understand the message? Yeah, I understand Jesus is the only way. Well, why, why don't you want to receive it? Of course, we know that the, the background behind that, but they may say this. It's their pride. Because they may come from this very strong family that if they were to trust Christ, well, this is not going to be good. It's not going to be a good thing if I come and trust Christ and, and actually forsake everything, even generations maybe. Yep. It's pride. But Satan uses pride in a very skillful way to keep you out of the kingdom of God. He's blocking the light. See, give up your pride, fling yourself on the mercy of God for pardoning grace, and you know what God says? I'll receive you. I'll take you to be my own. I've died in your place. I'll be your Lord. I've taken care of the wrath of God concerning your sin. I'll give you eternal life. So come poor and blind and wretched and ruined sinner to the one who can awaken your soul. Open your eyes to see the living Lord and rejoice to give you life, especially to give it to the dead sinner when God opens their eyes. And to the Christian, to the Christian, I want to say this to you. Those who are believers, if you notice in your Bible, it says this in Romans 6 and verse number, well, verse number 6, it says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And then notice in verse number 7. 
For he who has died is freed from sin. You know that word freed there in your Bible? It is a legal word that means you're acquitted. You're acquitted before the judge. You know when you're acquitted before the judge, you're allowed to go free. Right? Meaning, matter of fact, the, the sin's gone. Go. You're free. Right? So the Bible's saying, listen, as a believer, you're free. All right? But what are you free to do? You're not the free to go on sinning. You're free now to obey God. I can obey God. Look at verse number 11. It says, even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin. But notice what it says. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'm, when, in salvation, what happens? I'm alive to God. All right? When my passions and my desires and temptation comes my way to sin, what do I have the power to do in Christ Jesus and the Spirit of God? Say this. No! No! I'm not sinning anymore. I'm not doing it again. And see, who's the master now? Actually, the Spirit of God's given you self-control to be master over sin through God's power. Because now God is your master and you want to please Him. And so therefore, the Bible is telling us in verse 12 also, therefore, here's the conclusion, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust anymore. And verse 13, and do not go on presenting your members the members of your body, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those, notice, alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law anymore, but you're under what? Grace. So as a believer... I'm in a whole different relationship with sin. The law can't condemn me anymore. Why? Because Christ takes care of all the sin. He, he satisfies the law. But the Spirit of God will never let you and I go on sinning. That's why we get convicted of our sin. And what do we immediately want to do when we, we identify our own sin? We want to confess it. And confession really means to agree with God. To agree what God already knows is happening in your life. And confess it, and then God is faithful and just, just to forgive you of all your sin and all your unrighteousness, right? See, so I can go on living, so I can say no to sin, have victory over sin, mastery over sin, and now live to please God. See, that's incredible. That's what Christian, and right here, right now, right here on this earth. See, so theology, again, adjust our thinking. To live in a way that you do not have to be enslaved to any sin in your life at any time for any length of period. Because First John tells us if you practice sin, it just shows the seed of God's not in you and you're not a believer in the first place. Right? But if you put sin to death, you don't toy with sin anymore. You put it to death. That shows the Spirit of God is giving you mastery over that. Right it, Now, it doesn't mean that there is not a battle and a struggle. There is. And there will be to the day you die. But as the Word of God washes your mind, as the Word of God sanctifies you, as the, as the Word of God strengthens you, then you're able to actually live for God with joy and with purpose and with results. Amen? Just a light little message for the new year. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just ask you this morning, knowing, Lord, that there's only two, two ways a person may take walk in this world. Lord, one, the soul will either yield a sin, as your word, word says, and serve it and earn its wages, and that's eternal death, or a soul that will yield to God, receive the gift, and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that through this word, through your word, someone may respond to this message. Today, maybe the day they come and cast aside everything that they have been trusting in for their own righteousness, even the systems they trust in, and come alone to Jesus Christ and 
Lord, they would ask you to save them. I pray that you would do that, Lord, and that you would save them, give them your spirit, and give them new life in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for those you have already given that. I pray, Lord, that next year we would grow to see the mastery you have given us over sin and to see the desire you've given us now to not want to sin but to actually obey you and love you and want to serve you and want a new purpose in our life. I pray that would become more evident this year than the years that have gone by. Lord, please prevent us from playing games with our Christian life. Let us be serious and sober for the sake of the short time you've given us on earth and the length of eternity that we can enjoy you. Help us to now live a life of gratitude and serve you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Lord, bless us this morning uh, in this new year to... uh, love you more. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.